hearts to be open and for your word to be spoken. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. Good morning, church. Thanks, team. Good singing with you at home here in the building. And uh, next hour will be out front. I want you to open up to John chapter 2 this morning. That's where we're going to start off. And I want to direct your attention. We actually have the link down below. It's not really important that you necessarily read the article, but I thought it humorous. I looked back on, um, on some things last year we were talking about last January. Uh, if we could just get the lights adjusted, that would be really helpful. That would be great. Thank you. Um, and here's the article. The article is this, Seven Trends for Churches in 2020. Seven Trends for Churches in 2020. Here's what's great about this. It was written on December 30th, 2019. So I went back and I thought, man, I'm going to read this article again and see how many of these seven are still applicable. Um, How did this author do? You can read the article if you'd like. You can judge for yourself. It's not really important. Um, But what, what it did for me was this. It underscores this point, that people make plans... And then God directs our steps. We revived an old saying around here, around this church, where we decided to sort of reenact this thing of if the Lord wills. People say that sometimes in churchy circles that, well, if the Lord wills, I'm going to do this or this. But often they don't give a whole lot of thought to it. I think 2020 and now 2021 has been teaching us that as the Lord wills is a great thing to sort of tag all of your plans with. I was in New Orleans years ago helping people with post-Katrina cleanup. So we were just helping neighborhoods. We were there with our college um, group from the church that planted this church, Valley Church in Cupertino. And I remember talking to a pastor of a mostly upper middle class white suburban church outside of the Ninth Ward District of New Orleans. And his church had become known as the Church of the Stained Carpets because teams like us were coming from around the country to sleep in their sanctuary, brush our teeth in their hallways, and make that our sort of home base while we went in and served these people. I remember talking to the pastor, and he said, you know, we had just spent uh, 18 months, I think, planning our next five years as a church. The ink was still wet on our plans that we had just printed up at Kinko's. We were ready to distribute to our church, when all of a sudden, the most devastating, most costly, uh, most dangerous storm in U.S. history hit us. And what happened in those moments was this, plans changed. All of a sudden, everything in their five-year plan didn't make any sense. Here's what I was struck by, though. I was struck by the fact that this pastor, uh, as he talked about the work that his church was doing, they were not just hanging on in a crisis. They didn't pine for all the things they had lost. I never once heard him say, we're so bummed we didn't get to page 14 of our cleverly crafted plan. I didn't see him moping about, waiting for things to go back to how they were pre-Katrina. In fact, what I saw instead was the fact that they were active in the work that God had given to them. In fact, they were excitedly on the path, working, striving toward the good work that God had set them on. He described himself as a turtle on a lamppost. A turtle doesn't get on a lamppost unless someone else puts that turtle on a lamppost. You know, there's a lesson for us, church, 
Not just collectively, but our church family. There is a lesson for us in this. At the very beginning of the shelter in place last March, I quoted the musical genius of Rich Mullins. And here's the, here's the quote. He, he writes this, he sings this. From the place where morning gathers, you can look sometimes forever till you see what time will never know, what time may never know. How the Lord takes by its corners this old world and shakes us forward and shakes us free to run wild with the hope, to run wild with the hope. The hope that this thirst will not last long, that it will soon drown in the song not sung in vain. Church, I've been thinking a lot about this quote over this last year, that God has shaken us forward and God has shaken us free. Why? To run wild with the hope. Here's a question that you may not have thought of or may not have been asked yet, but it is this. Have you thanked God yet for COVID-19? Have you stopped and thanked God for COVID-19? Have you considered it joy that you have had trials this last year? Now, without overlooking lament, without overlooking the hard of this season, or in any way trivializing it, we have had huge opportunity for revival in this city for revival in this neighborhood, in fact, for revival in ourselves. John chapter 2, starting in verse 14, what we see is this. We see that God has this way of shaking us forward and shaking us free. Why? Because we get stuck. We need to be shaken forward. We get enslaved, we get trapped, we get mired down and bogged down in so many ways. And so we need to be shaken forward and shaken free. John chapter 2, starting in verse 14, speaks about church clutter and the way Jesus dealt with it. It says, in the temple, he, Jesus, found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Some of your Bibles might give this heading to this scenario. Jesus clears the temple. Jesus clears the temple. Another way of saying it is he cleaned house. Why did Jesus clear the temple? Why did he clean house? Because the church got cluttered. Guess what? The church still gets cluttered. The pandemic has been a force reset for every church in our nation. God is graciously clearing away the clutter, not only in our churches, but in our lives. Who makes up the church? The people of God. We do. So what are the kinds of things that, that tends to get 
cluttered and, and that God needs to come and sort of sweep out and the, 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 the wind of the Spirit needs to come and kind of, kind of blow through and freshen things up. Well, I've just made a, a, a little short list. You can think of other things. So I want you to ponder this for your own life and I want you to ponder this collectively for us as a church. Okay, here we go. Number one is churches get cluttered with stuff, right? Um, I was just visiting a friend's church nearby. We were talking Foster the Bay things, and, and they were giving me a little tour of their office space. And their place looks a lot like ours right now. All churches have suddenly like forced to be turned into like little TV studios, and there's just stuff everywhere. And he goes, sorry, it's kind of messy. And I'm like, yeah, of course, because <laughs> no one's really been in here. So that aside... Um, is there's a sense that, that there's artifacts, there's objects in a church that can actually become too important. I remember uh, being at a, a friend's church in the Foothills area, and there was this massive bell sitting right in front of his church. He was the new pastor. And I said, tell me about the bell. And he goes, I can't really get a straight answer on the bell. There's this giant bell that's sitting there. It would take, it's going to take someone professional to remove the bell, but no one knows why the bell is there um, and whether we should move it or not. Well, that's a sacred cow. That's a physical sacred cow that's sitting there, and it's just, it's just sort of there. And, and it, time has sort of covered over why it's even sitting there. But this can happen with buildings. It's going to happen with chairs or pews. It can happen with, with an organ or a drum set or something in the church that just has become more important than it is. Churches can also get cluttered with people. Hear me really carefully here. We gather as a church. We say this all the time. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. Don't hear this as an indictment on the fact that we shouldn't have unclean people or non-sinners. We'd be an empty church. We'd have no pastor. But what I'm saying is this. Churches can get cluttered with people. One of the things that churches struggle with is this. The Western American church in particular has had a consumeristic mindset, which is to come and say, how can this church serve me? And churches respond in kind by, in essence, selling religious goods, programs to help you with your money, programs to help you with your parenting, programs to help you get a better marriage or find and start a marriage. And sometimes there's this consumer drag on the church. And churches get cluttered with people who are there to suck the church dry. It can actually breed really entitled Christians who shop around to church to find the one that best suits them and their needs. The churches have more and more services. Why? Because the consumers are responding and they're coming, and so they give more and more time and effort to it. Staff can end up selling stuff around the idea of God and spirituality. Unintentionally, maybe looking an awful lot like the people who were the money changers in the temple, profiting off of God and spirituality. Churches can also get cluttered with programs. You know, people loved what worked in the past. And that may not be a bad thing, but if there isn't regular evaluation, why are we doing this? Should we be doing this? What can happen is program can be added upon program. And pretty soon you have a bloated calendar that will require more and more funds, more and more energy, more and more volunteers, simply to maintain status quo. And if church leadership, and if the people who are a part of that family 
Don't say no to some things and don't end things as well as begin things. Celebrate the off-ramp of servants and ministries as well as the on-ramp. Then this over-bloated thing turns just like our own physical bodies. We're lethargic and can barely move and we pretty much sit around. How about the idea that churches can get cluttered, our lives can get cluttered with ideas and theology? Wrong thinking about God that ends up suiting your own personal taste. It's really, really subtle. It begins by placing a really high value on things that are maybe of small importance, and then you neglect the, the, the bigger things. Think about Jesus in Matthew 23. He says to the religious leaders, he says, you tithe on your spices, but you neglect justice. You neglect mercy and faithfulness. And it's so easy to get our little pet projects. It's so easy to get deeply offended or deeply rutted in these, in these smaller points without seeing the bigger picture. Let me tell you what this next two weeks is all about. Our next two weeks is just to take a look in the mirror as a church, as a church family. We're going to be looking at us as a church, Little C Church, our little local congregation, and what God is doing with it. Philip Yancey wrote a book called Church, Why Bother? Here's what he says. I love this quote. He says, church exists primarily not to provide entertainment or to encourage vulnerability or to build self-esteem, or to facilitate friendship, but to worship God. In short, the church exists primarily to worship God. Do you gain friends? Often, yes. But you also gain people who annoy you. Welcome to family life. Is vulnerability encouraged? Absolutely. Uh, is your self-esteem built up? I think absolutely. As you see yourself rightly, it is built up. So there are other residual fruits, but if you point your direction toward one of those things, you will be sorely disappointed by church. Church exists primarily to worship God. So we are needing to evaluate as a family. We do this periodically in my family, and we're going to do this as a church family. You know, history speaks to this. God is always growing and sustaining and empowering the church. Church is God's idea, uh, but we never execute church perfectly. In fact, we looked at this a year ago, January. We did a month-long series on the church in January of 2020. And just like that seven trends for churches in 2020, I went back and sort of reevaluated. I thought, boy, little did we know what was coming as a church. But here's one of the key takeaways from that. When we don't execute church perfectly, hear this, we don't abandon the design. We return to the designer and we return to his perfect design for the church. We say, God, where did we get it wrong? How can we improve? What, what do we need to jettison and just leave behind altogether? What has cluttered our lives and our churches and our minds and our heart such that we can't walk the simple life of Jesus with you and call others into that? God helps us address issues even when we don't see them. One of the things we've seen going through books of the Bible, our bread and butter at this church is to just preach through books of the Bible. And what happens is this, 
Issues are raised, questions are raised that we aren't even asking. In fact, they're not even on our radar. And God is speaking to us in those. God lovingly prunes and disciplines and instructs and declutters his church. He longs for a pure bride. And so he does that with us individually and then collectively as we come together. Think about Pentecost. Pentecost is sort of a season that that we're approaching sort of on the calendar. But God pours out miracle grow on this early church. And there's signs and miracles that were accompanying the message of God's saving work through the death and burial and resurrection and then the ascension of Jesus Christ back to be with the Father. And what we see is the Holy Spirit, this help that Jesus said, hey disciples, go wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. The Holy Spirit comes in power. And again, it's like miracle grow. The church just launches forward. Such that, in fact, um, Peter actually gives this sermon. People think they're drunk. They go, these people must be drunk. No, they're filled with the Spirit. Peter assures them they're not drunk, but they're experiencing the fulfillment of an ancient prophecy. That God's Spirit would be poured out on men and women, old and young, educated and uneducated, and that, um, and, and, that, and that this Spirit being poured out would be so that people would call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. God says, in those days, I'm going to write my message on their hearts. Jeremiah 15, 16 says this, your words became a delight to me, the joy of my heart. Listen to this, for I bear your name. Lord God of armies. This ancient prophecy that the whole story's been pointing toward is happening right here in the early parts of Acts. In fact, it says that 3,000 souls were added on that day after Peter's sermon to something. What was it? It was to the church. 3,000 souls are added to the church. Fast forward. The church gets cluttered, right? Let's look at the Reformation. Reformation simply means to reform. Why do we need reform? We need reform because things get broken, things get cluttered, things get off course. So the Reformation, as a period, refers to the 16th century period when abuses were so bad in the Roman Catholic Church that Martin Luther led a revolt. What was he revolting against? In short, I would sum it up this way. That the mind of man was shaping the church rather than the mind of God. When the mind of man shapes the church instead of the mind of God, what we have is we have a flawed church. Now, we always will have a flawed church on some sense. But when we don't execute perfectly, we don't abandon the church, we return to the designer, to the mind of God. He thought up the church. We go to him for the church's instruction. So what does Luther do? He nails 95 theses to the door at Wittenberg and says, here, that's my my problem with what's going on. And it leads to something that we now look back historically and call the Reformation. Well, here's the reality. The Reformation never stops. Literally, the ball is in our hands right now, church. It's not over. It's an ongoing reality. It's a never-ending task to reform the church. So what are we going to do? 
So this morning and next week, we are going to turn our gaze inward. We're going to look at us as a church to think about and imagine all that she can be because of who is leading this whole thing. Jesus Christ is our shepherd. Who's the senior pastor of Neighborhood Bible Church? He's the senior pastor of every New Testament biblical church. It's Jesus Christ. He's our Lord and Savior. Anyone else is an under-shepherd if they're a shepherd. So we celebrate uh, all that she can be because because of who's leading this thing, but also the remarkable resources that have been given to the church. In fact, it's, it's way more than we could possibly even think to ask or even think to imagine. We have been resourced, church, to do what God is calling us to do as a congregation. I'm calling this always open church. And I'm referring to the reality that you cannot stop or close the church. The church is the called out people of God. The word is ecclesia, and it is the called out people of God. She is blood-bought by Jesus Christ, sustained by the one who breathed out the cosmos. You cannot stop the church. You can't close the church. Always open church refers to some things. We have had this sign out since, since the early days of the pandemic. As things begin to open up around us, things like gyms and restaurants and shark tanks and uh, jobs and churches, what we're doing is we're sort of emerging from hibernation and we're surveying the wreckage and we're surveying the opportunity. I think if we have eyes to see, we are going to notice there's been some serious damage to the church. What I mean is this, there are people that are missing there are people that have just, that have just drifted away. They've, they've gone away. They've been taken out. Maybe their faith has been shipwrecked. There's also wild possibility, incredible opportunity that awaits us. We have this church sign. It, it very much captures what we wanted to state to our neighborhood the entire time is that we are open. Uh, you, I want you to know your church leaders have been navigating by prayer. Uh, in the early days, I'm not even sure how long we did this. Time's a blur in COVID times, am I right? Like, we, it's just hard to remember what things happen. But we met every single week as, a, as an elder team. In the midst of all the other things that everyone's trying to figure out, your shepherds of this church committed every single week to pray and navigate what was supposed to be going on. And that went on for months and months and months. That was done joyfully. And what it was is it was keeping up with what's recommended and what's required and how are we to celebrate this and walk in this and God, we trust you and where are you in this and all of that. And we committed to you, church family, we were going to continue to make the best decision before God for this church family, the sheep that we were called to lead. I am very clear on this. We have made mistakes We will continue to make mistakes. As we do, we're not going to abandon the church. We're going to come back to the designer and say, God, how are we getting this wrong? How are we getting it right? We want to keep in step with you. We also think we've gotten a whole bunch of things right. We've worked really hard to be ready and take advantage of all openings offered 
the moment they've been announced. We have chosen the route on purpose not to pursue lawsuits and not to pursue flagrant disobedience. Here's why. Although there's discussion and disagreement and sort of a a fluctuating discussion around here, we have not seen the Christian church as singled out and saying, you get to stay closed while everything else remains open. We are a part of a neighborhood and part of a community. And we have seen gyms and churches sue the government with mixed results in getting to open sooner or later. What we are seeing right now, church, is this, that we are, we are lifting on all fronts, schools and jobs and public gatherings and places. And as we do, we are going to continue to fill the space being the scent of God, being the presence of God in those places. We are open online and in person. That's what the sign reads. We are open online and in person. But it's really much broader than that, isn't it? It's not just that we're open physically or digitally for church services. No, we're actually open digitally and physically, but also we're open relationally. Neighborhood Bible Church, I can't tell you, there's so many great stories coming out of people who have been open to their neighbors in a fresh way because of COVID-19. Do we thank God for disease and death? No, those are enemies. But can we thank God in the midst of the trial and the hard that new emergence uh, of, of possibilities and relationships have formed? Absolutely. So we're open relationally. We're open spiritually. We have and will remain open spiritually and mentally. We're open to humbly being led in this season. We are open as a church to new ideas and possibilities. We're open to correcting wrong views that we've had. We're open to correcting wrong emphases that we've had. There is clutter in every church. And we're saying, God, we're here. We're humble. Lead us. We have not known it all. We do not know it all. We need you. We need your grace. Church, we are still open. We're going to hit pause on the sermon. We're going to sing a song right now called, You Cannot Be Stopped. Jonathan brought me this early in the week, and I said, man, that's that's the song. Like We're actually talking all about this this week. Listen to this lyric that we're going to sing. The enemy fought you. He tried, but he lost. You cannot be stopped. And then this bridge that we're going to sing is this. There's nothing that can stop our God. There's nothing that can stop our God. God, we thank you and celebrate you. We're we're, we're just taking stock, even as we look back right now and, and look around at what's next for us. God, we are celebrating your mighty and wondrous works. You are victorious. God, we bear your name, Lord God of armies. You have fought every battle. We are fighting from a position of victory today. We celebrate that. God, free us, declutter us from the scarcity mindset of all that's been taken away. And God, help us to embrace and walk and run in all that we have, God. It's in the victorious name of the risen Jesus Christ who is sitting at the right hand of God right now, we pray, amen.